Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 159. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series, first season episodes, Devil in the Dark, Errand of Mercy, and The Alternative Factor. Here we go. Devil in the Dark, Season 1, Episode 25, Production Code 026, Original Air Date, March 9th, 1967, Directed by Joseph Pevney, Written by Gene L. Kuhn, Music Composed by Alexander Courage, Guest Cast Include Ken Lynch as Chief Engineer Vanderberg, Janos Prohaska as Horta, Barry Russo as Security Chief Giotto, Brad Weston as Apple, Biff Elliott as Schmitter, George Allen as Engineer One, Robert Hoy as Sam, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, Frank DaVinci as Instant Vinci, John Cavett as Gerard, Ron Vito as Security Guard, and Bill Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley. The Enterprise arrives at a mining colony on the planet Janus to help the colony deal with a creature that has killed 50 miners and destroyed equipment with strong corrosive substances. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy meet with the mine supervisor and chief engineers of the colony. During the briefing, they are alerted to a problem in the colony's main nuclear reactor and find its guard killed and the main circulation pump stolen. Chief Engineer Scott rigs a temporary replacement that will prevent critical failure, but a permanent solution must be found in 48 hours or else. Kirk here. Captain, I've just read some fresh signs. The creature is in this area. It'll take a life form reading. It's not necessary, Mr. Spock. I know exactly where the creature is. Where, Captain? Ten feet away from me. Kill it, Captain. Quickly. It's not making any threatening moves, Spock. You don't dare take the chance, Captain. Kill it. Devil in the Dark. We all remember this episode. Everybody loves this episode. We all know it's a good episode. And still, as I was watching it, I was kind of marveling at how good it was. <laughs> this is a great episode. It's it's good in every way. that Everything that's great about Star Trek is here. This is a fantastic episode. Adam, why don't you start us on um, Devil in the Dark? Um, I would agree, Brian. Of the three, I definitely like this one better than the other two. Um, just structurally, it's paced well. The story is, moves good. Um, like you said, um, it has um, very um, Star Trek-ish elements. I don't know if that came out right, but it, yeah, it has all the elements of Star Trek in it. You know, new life, um, moral conundrum, what to do with this new life, um, kind of a mystery um a Vulcan mind meld with a weird creature so yeah there's a lot in here to be entertained by um and i know um you know a lot of people like to make fun of the creature because it's you know it's a 1960s um creature but other than that i thought the sets were really cool the the tunnels and the caves um were really cool and you know the creature really didn't i think it bothered me less today than it did years ago about how silly it kind of looked i don't know but um, yeah, I'm, I definitely agree. I enjoyed this episode a lot. Steve, what are your initial thoughts on Devil in the Dark? Well, yeah, it's a it's a, kind of an iconic episode. I mean, it's one of those that most, if you have any kind of familiarity with, or have seen some Trek episodes, I think it's probably one of those that sticks out. And for all the reasons you guys mentioned, and it's got a, yeah, it's it's interesting because it kind of defies. Um, 
I don't want to say genre of episode, but that type of episode, you know, it's got the horror elements to it. Um, like Adam said, you're also trying to solve a mystery. Um, you've, you've got, um, Star Trek, you know, themed things. You've got a mind meld, you've got red shirts dying, you, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you've got a, which we'll talk about later. Well, you've got like a real theme, a real meaning and a message to it, you know? So it's, so it's very meaningful, and because of the look of it, because of those caves, because of the alien being very, you know, distinct, the appearance of that creature, you know, it's it's definitely memorable, and it's got a lot going for it. I'm being very selective about what episodes I played for my five-year-old. Can He's too young to enjoy a lot of this show, especially given the other content that he sees, you know, more modern content. But uh, I wanted him to see this one, and he really got into it, and he really followed it, and he really and he enjoyed it. Mm. I might put that on the... Uh, tale of uh, this episode today. I interviewed him a little bit afterward. Anyway, um, that's one of the cool things about this this episode, I think, is that it it's deceptively simple. You know, I think you can watch it on a lot of different levels. But yeah, it's got all these like prototypical Star Trek things in it. But mostly I just think it's um I just I think it's really really enjoyable to watch. I just think it's really, really, really good. You know, even if it didn't have all these other things. It's it's so it's so well done that you can enjoy it. Even, I, I didn't really remember, it's funny, you know, I'm watching a little bit older, I didn't remember the, the guy in the pink. You guys remember this guy? Oh, yeah. I did not remember the guy in the pink. I don't, I did not remember him, but <laughs> my wife watched it with me too, and she and my son were calling him the dancing man. <laughs> he didn't dance, but something about the pink outfit that made them think he was going to start dancing? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, the my favorite thing about this episode is uh, Kirk and Spock and the way their relationship works in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's such a great Kirk-Spock episode. You really see their friendship. You really see their professional relationship, the mutual respect they have for each other, how each one brings out the best in the other one. There's that moment, I don't know, halfway into the episode, whenever they're searching for the Horda, um, and they get separated in the tunnels, and they're just communicating via communicators. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's just so good. It's so good because their characters are so well-defined and their relationship with one another. You know, Spock, for example, he switches into calling him Jim, right? Which he does. And those, there's the, but he also goes from, you know, earlier in the episode, this creature is the last of its race. To kill it would be a crime against science. To kill it quickly, Jim, you know? <laughs> right, right. You, you, you have to save yourself, you know? Yeah, it's interesting how their roles reverse there, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really great. But then we also see we see how, you know, the things that Spock said to Kirk earlier, even though it seemed like Kirk was not dismissing him, but he was having none of it. You know, nope, we have to kill this creature. We see how those things did permeate into Kirk's brain because he respects Spock so much. Same reason he doesn't force him to go help Scotty, which he at first wants him to do. Um, we see how those things really did mean something to Kirk because he doesn't shoot that creature. Mm-hmm. He, he he waits, he has that moment of pause, right? Mm-hmm. It's just good. It's just good stuff. Yeah, I like the, when you were mentioning, I like the role of reversal, you know, um, Kirk is very stern, we have to kill it, you know, we have to get the commerce thing going, he's very stern, and then, yeah, it's th- that um, contra- that reversal where Kirk has become the compassionate one. Is like I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna sit here and hang out with this creature and talk to it. Um, and where Spock is, um, it's kind of. I enjoyed that scene. Um, those 
you know, that kind of that sequence of events, you know, them starting off in the tunnel before they went and started searching and they, them separating out. Um, I'd agree with you. A very um, integral part of their relationship building in this in this episode. You get the that role reversal. You get the Horda's role reversal, which, you know, it, of course, it starts off as this monster. And, you know, by the end of the episode, it's this this mother protecting its children, which it's such an amazing thing, you know, this blob of whatever that's so not human-like um, that you that you feel something for, you know. I can't imagine anybody watching this episode. My five-year-old felt something for that and, and understood that rock, <laughs> you know. Mm. Let's talk about Spock mind-melding with a rock. Steve, what are you... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously it's... Um... And he has a great performance, as always, by Leonard Nimoy. You take it for granted until you start thinking about Spock mind-melding with a rock. I mean, basically, <laughs> it's just... I mean, there. yeah, there's a guy in that suit and all this stuff, too. Now, if there was a guy in that suit at that exact moment when he's doing that whole scene and all that stuff, too, but he's basically touching these styrofoams and blocky pizza-looking crap and then performing like that, and you totally buy into it. I mean, he's, you know, everything he's, you know, doing... So, so, yeah, he, yeah, Nimoy's great. I mean, um, but it is interesting. It's a very, uh, you know, the, the mind melt thing, you know, early on in Trek, I mean, kind of developing what that's about and what's going on there and to what extent that, you know, that relationship between the melder and the meldy or whatever, you know, um, but um, it was kind of you had to have something like that right i mean it was in a way it's like a good thing they had that tool to use because how else they communicating back and forth it would be a little tiresome to have this thing carving letters in the stone for you know or whatever like a ouija board or something the whole episode so you know this is the way we find out the motivations and everything hey brian let me know am i correct in this did did was it william shatner's dad or or Nimoy's dad that died during this episode, or am I uh, just Shatner's? Yeah, actually, I was just talking because when I watched this, my wife was pointing out, like, why is there a stunt guy from this over-the-shoulder shot of, mm-hmm. of Kirk? You know, he's not, I'm like, well, I can't remember, but there must be a stunt coming up, you know, and there was no stunt. I'm like, but then, I, and then when I was doing my research, I, I remembered, oh right, no, the stunt guy is there because, yeah, Shatner's dad died. Um, suddenly, and uh, Shatner, I think he, like, if I remember correctly, I didn't do enough research, but I remember from reading his book years ago, like, didn't he, he, like, finished out the day, and then, and they shot a couple things just so that they could finish the episode without him, and then they Mm -hmm. shot, like, a whole other day without him, I think, I think it was something like that. Yeah, something like that. So he, like, finished that day, and then he got on a plane, you know, and, you know, he's talked about it, conventions, I remember, you know, about couple of the scenes that he had to do <laughs> with that news and I I can't imagine that. I mean it's not like his dad was sick or something, you know. I you know, it was um our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering that correctly because he definitely talks about it um in his book. The, the you know, the the book where he talks about the production of the original series. Shatner, I mean. Huh. I always think that kind of thing is interesting when you hear about whether whether it's a personal moment or some big moment in history that's that they just found out about this thing when they shot this scene and it, you know you always try to see it in their face or see it in the performance or whatever you know it's well it's like that episode of Enterprise a few episodes in that you know they were shooting when 9/11 yeah. happened and they stopped the day 
Yeah, I remember we talked about that. You're thinking about that when you're watching that episode. Yeah, Adam, thanks for bringing down our vibe here. (laughs) (laughs) This episode has, I'm pretty sure it's the first, I'm a doctor, not a blank. I'm pretty sure, right? Hmm. McCoy has, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm I'm pretty sure this is the first time. (laughs) (laughs) It really is funny. Like he's got like concrete on his hands. I cured it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) All right. But I, I love. It makes me laugh. What like um, Kirk telling Spock, you know, like, you know, get McCoy down here. We're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna bring McCoy or something. And and, and Spock and, and and Kirk's like, he's a healer, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's your, that's a leader right there. That's good. He said the same thing to McCoy. He's like, you're a healer. Heal. <laughs> Heal it. Yeah. No, I love that moment. It's very brief. But when McCoy first comes in and he sees, and he sees Spock down there you know, melding with it. And he's like, what in the name of, yeah. you know, there's such, it's a, there's such like amazing, he has such an amazed look on his face and I don't know. It's just so good. There's so many great things in this episode. I love the, uh, I'm just throwing random things out. The timing of the actual monster reveal is so good because they talk about him a lot. We have several shots kind of where it's totally in shadow as it kills somebody. But the first time you actually see it, it's, it's just the right time in the episode you know, where I'm like, I don't think I can handle another not seeing it. And then we see it, you know? Mm-hmm. It does seem kind of silly. Like, if, you're, if your pump reactor fails, your entire place goes critical or something, but you <laughs> don't have a replacement for that single part. Yeah, I recorded that in my notes, too. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like maybe that's kind of stupid, but, you know, it was fine. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like, why, why would the hoarder take it? Why wouldn't it just dissolve it? Maybe it was so smart that it anticipated um, this resolution. <laughs> I guess. Gentlemen, what is this episode about? Well, a lot about it, you know, we've talked about in the themes of, you know, Star Trek. This is about um, discovering new life um, and how how and how to deal with it. Um, it's kind of, like we said, it's kind of a Star Trek theme. This new life is discovered. They initially are like, uh, "Yeah, we got to kill this thing," but they learn from it and they they learn to get along with it and and cohabitate with it and be successful with it. So there's kind of a lot of that, you know, just because it's different or it might seem hostile, um, you have to figure out what its motivations are. Just you know, it might not be hostile. Like they said, this creature is benevolent. Um, the only reason it became hostile is because. They were killing killing off its offspring. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's you you have to understand what's you have to you know walk in someone's shoes to understand their position and um, you know we have all sorts of examples in our history where we did not do that and this still happens and um, and it's unfortunate. But and, and, and in a way, that's one thing about this episode that I, I wish was different is that you still kind of have this notion that they you know they all get along and oh they help us you know mine minerals too it's kind of like still there's still some kind of <laughs> subservient thing there you know it's like oh they're born and all that stuff too i mean you know in all a way it's needed, kind of though all they needed was what did the horda get out of it yeah 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 exactly exactly we're not gonna kill you that doesn't seem like a <laughs> right right <laughs> you know if there had been some kind of mutual benefit there then i think yeah, that would solve that yeah. completely yeah but but yeah, I, I agree with everything Adam said, and it's all those things. What do you give a silicon rock, though? Like for Christmas, you mean? Or yeah, 
So I love this episode, and I remember liking this episode a lot. And uh, I, in fact, maybe I remember feeling this way before. Like every time I've seen this one, it's like it's just so deceptively good. It, it you you kind of forget how great this episode is. You kind of gotta be you gotta be watching it to be like, oh yeah, gosh, great. If you love Kirk and Spock, this is the kind of episode for you. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you love these base things about Star Trek, you know, this is your episode. So. Really, really fantastic episode. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Certainly in the top ten of the original series. You know, maybe top five. I don't know. All right. Let's do Six Degrees for Devil in the Dark. Adam? Yep. Brad Weston plays Ed Apple, the guy in the pink work suit and big-ish hair. He was one of the actors on the shortlist to play what character starting in season two? Um, Chekhov? You're correct. Steve, Barry Russo plays Lieutenant Commander Giotto, the red shirt that can't keep a simple mob at bay. He played Commodore Robert Wesley, commander of the Lexington in the M5 War Games. The M5 computer malfunctioned, proving that it was not the blank computer. Fill in the episode title. The missing uh, Yeah, uh, the ultimate computer. You are correct, the ultimate computer. Uh, one-to-one, moving on. <laughs> Errand of Mercy, Season 1, Episode 26, Production Code 027. Original air date, March 23, 1967. Directed by John Newland, written by Gene L. Kuhn. Music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include John Colicos as Commander Kor, John Abbott as Eilborn, David Hillary Hughes as Trefane, Peter Brocco as Claymere, Victor London as Lieutenant, George Sawaya as Second Soldier, Walt Davis as Klingon Soldier, Bobby Bass as Klingon Guard, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, and Gary Combs as Klingon Guard. Relations between the United Federation of Planets and the Klingon Empire have reached the breaking point and recent negotiations have collapsed. The Starship Enterprise has been sent to the world of Organia, a non-aligned planet near the Klingon border, to prevent the Klingons from annexing it. As the Enterprise approaches Organi, Spock briefs Kirk, calling it a primitive society, and without warning, the Enterprise is attacked by a Klingon vessel, which quickly is destroyed when the Enterprise returns fire. I have seen what the Klingons do to planets like yours. They are organized into vast slave labor camps. No freedoms whatsoever. Your goods will be confiscated. Hostages taken and killed. Your leaders confined. You'd be far better off on a penal planet. Infinitely better off. Captain, we see that your concern is genuine. And we are moved. But again, we assure you that we are in absolutely no danger. Errand of mercy. Look at this. Two awesome episodes in a row. This is another one that, well, maybe when I was younger, I didn't. I mean, I enjoyed the Klingons and stuff, but I like this so much more. You know, the older I get, the more I watch it. I I think this is another fantastic episode. Uh, Steve, why don't you start us off on Errand of Mercy? Well, of course, this is most known as being the first uh, Star Trek episode with Klingons, you know, and everyone thinks of it that way. Um, It's also, um, of course, uh, John Colicos um, with his performance is uh, and him and Kirk playing off each other and all that that's great and uh it's interesting um the you know again uh, we always talk about it's hard to if it's hard to not to talk about what the episode's about it's probably pretty good and you know what they're trying to say with the um 
the tendencies of both the humans and the Klingons, and then you know, in a, in a way, the, the, these beings who we don't understand their nature for quite some time reveal you know reveal though that nature of humanity and the nature of the klingons and it's kind of a in a sense a shaming process and so forth um yeah it's really interesting in that way and you also have the uh, action of uh, kirk and spock working together to you know try to have their own little rebellion on the planet and so forth so it, it's it's fun it's well paced and it kept my interest adam your first thoughts it sounds like you maybe didn't aren't as in love with this episode quite as uh, Steve and I? No, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. There are aspects of it that I do like. I enjoy um, core and the Klingon aspects of it. I just kind of thought it drug, drug on. I didn't really particularly care for the aliens. You had um, angry Kirk throughout most of the episode, and he was very judgmental throughout most of the episode, and it just kind of threw me off. I, um, I didn't... Um, um, really didn't like it near as much as you did, Brian. Um, but that being said, there are, like I said, there are aspects of the episode I liked. I enjoyed the um, the core character and the interaction between him and Kirk. I enjoyed the opening scenes, the new scenes with the, the battle with the Klingon ship um, and some of the scenes, you know, when the fleet of Klingons came through. But overall, I'd say I'd, it was not, I just kind of drug on for me. I didn't enjoy it all that much. Is this different? Have you always felt that way about this episode, or has this? Has um, you know, I couldn't really remember. I was thinking about that, and I really couldn't remember it. Toward you know what I thought about it way back when, to be honest. Um, like I said, I don't. Like I said, it was there was it was angry Kirk the whole the whole episode, and he was very judgmental and just didn't like it. Seemed out of character for 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 Kirk to me didn't seem like um his his character and he was you know the whole scene over there and the first scene when he's in there trying to persuade them it just seemed kind of desperate and needy to me just kind of just took me out of the episode yeah i think well steve what you said is probably a good point there as far as so much of what i liked about this episode is inherent in what it's about you know um and i mean it is it, it it is something that that Adam was getting at. Uh, it just sounds like Adam didn't like that. Like you're, you said, you know, it seems like Kirk was angry. Um, Kirk is clearly very frustrated with this these people, the Organians, because he doesn't understand them. Um, I think it's fair. His his response at first seems pretty logical and fair to me. You know, Spock says that I, I I researched it. I I went I checked the place out. This is an arrested culture. Um, you know, and and. Kirk's response is, you know, we offer you protection. They say we do not need your help, and and he really is. He doesn't realize that he's being a little bit arrogant. There is this balance between like his his reaction. Kirk's reaction seems natural almost, uh, but at some point, you know, he he. He never reconsiders his position. He never really tries to understand the Organians, and that's where he goes from being, you know, a guy on a mission or trying to be... He's never empathetic, right? Mm-hmm. He, it never occurs to him that there's value in their, in their system, even without them being, you know, uh, pure energy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even without that, it, it just never occurs to him uh, to try to understand. There's, there's that scene when I think the Organian, I don't know, says something like, 
How little you understand us, Captain. Oh, right, after after they blow up the field, the depot or whatever. You know, and Kirk doesn't even try to understand here. And that's when that's when he goes from... That's that's when he's he's actively doing something wrong. And I think that's... I mean, that's not exactly the same thing as what you're talking about, how the Organians kind of end up shaming them. Um, but it's not, you know, again, that's not like the Organians are consciously doing that either. Right, right. But is that... Is his initial reaction, reaction accurate? Do you guys agree with with me that where he what he fails to do is be empathetic like 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 when when core that that scene that's that kirk is in core's quarters yeah say that three times fast kirk 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 and core in core's quarters <laughs> and core says you are a lot like you know you're much like us and to me that's kind of the crux of the episode there because kirk of course is thinking no way i'm nothing like you i'm not going to enslave these people you know that's what kirk of course, is thinking right, but actually, Kirk and Kor are way more similar than than the, either one of them is to the Organians, uh, because they really are just like something the Organians say at the beginning of the episode. They really are being left. The Organians are being left no choice. They're being left little choice. You know, wouldn't it be better and true empathy and and a sign of a more evolved culture and, and species? And if if when the Organians said you know, we appreciate your offer, but we're not interested, you know? And Kirk could have said, you know, well, we'll leave if that's what you want. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky tricky situation, really, if you think about it, because it's so um, complex politically. I mean, you know, he's been given orders to keep this planet, you know, do, do all he can to keep this planet, you know, in, in Federation control. Um, because of its strategic value. I mean, when, you, when you've got that situation going on and you've got two, it's, it's, there's no win here. It's, it's a lose-lose for everybody. I mean, essentially, yes, it's, it's not right that there, he's in a position basically saying like, um, no, we're going to come in there, we can help you, whatever. But, you know, the, the, yeah, they're, they're stuck, they don't get the choice of, now again, they're super beings and end up, who cares really, right? But um, say they weren't, you know, they're not given a choice. They, you know, even if their choice was, well, if someone, we're going to try to stick to our way of life and say, no, you can't, there, there's, there's no, uh, and, and we got all sorts of analogies as in history and even currently or very recently, there's these kinds of things going on. And I'm sure that's the point, you know, geopolitically and so forth. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a bad situation. It's a sad situation. And, uh, yeah, given that they're um, omnipotent and so on, and can it's all this, this is all just kind of a game for them, really. Um, you know, it makes the it, may, it makes a very obvious point how petty and unfortunate it is. I mean, but you know, it, it's it is yeah, Kirk is doing it wrong, but of course it raises the question. We've seen all these other examples of how, what the prime directive what did that mean in this era because in other treks you know you get a different vibe sometimes too in certain other points in federation history so it's it's kind of confusing in that way but clearly they can kind of like twist it <laughs> to their to whatever they need to happen you know well i assume that the fact that the klingons are showing up like this would make some negate some of those crime directive things yeah even yeah, if, yeah even true, if it true. was flat out the you know the more modern interpretation of right uh, no interfering in a pre-warp society and they saw this the organians as a pre-warp society mm-hmm. i would have found i think i would have found this a lot better episode if they if there were consequences if these people weren't omnipotent energy beings because i don't know it just kind of makes it nice and neat and tidy 
by the end of the episode. Oh, no. I Now, that... Hey, I think it's great when we totally disagree because it's so rare. <laughs> I think that's exactly what makes it so so interesting. I think that this is a, one of those episodes, one of the few episodes where the second time you watch it, it's even better because every scene has this totally different take, you know? No, I totally disagree. You, you see the, the Organians as, as this truly evolved species, and I, I don't think that they're playing a game with them. I think that they are completely empathetic. I think they are 100% um, concerned with and give value to every single piece of, every single sentient life form in a way that they are just abhorred by the thought of violence against even one even one person. See, what I saw was just a one-dimensional species that was kind of boring and kind of drug things on. I think if they were actually a real society where this actually had real consequences, where this occupation had real significant consequences, it would have been a far better episode. Um, because the fact that at the end of the, it's all nicely tied up in a neat bow at the end, where nobody really gets hurt or really nobody really learns anything, it brings the episode down. Sometimes I think Star Trek does that. They kind of they uh, they'll do that. They'll they'll make an omnipotent being just to make the story neater and I think this is where it it hurt this particular episode. I do think that there's a change at the end of this episode. I think this episode has something that we rarely see in the original series and that's Kirk. That's Kirk grow. Cuz usually, you know, Kirk doesn't change a lot in the original series. Um if anything, you know, McCoy and Spock have a little bit more room than Kirk. In this episode at the end when he's on the bridge, he says to Kirk something like, you know, does he say I'm ashamed or embarrassed? Something like that. Like, I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Embarrassed. At the way that I was that I was defending violence to these people. Um, and I think that that shows Kirk really growing and learning in, in this episode. I would agree with that, but I still disagree with you about the, the, the beings on the planet. Now, Steve, you said... You said use the word game like it was a game to them do you, or so some maybe you're a little bit more well the i mean I, the implication wasn't that they were toying with both sides i think more just saying that because they're omnipotent and such there's no consequences for them you know i mean they, they it can all just kind of pass by and they just do their thing it's like yeah but as far as them feeling empathy and real genuine concern for every single life form. Mm-hmm. I think that they do. We've certainly seen, um, you know, crazy evolved, uh, omnipotent type species <laughs> that just look down on and don't care about. Right. right. But I, that's not what I think of the Organians here. Because the evidence is that they protected, you know, they didn't really let them, you know, hurt each other and, and probably, and of course, all that uh, executing the, the Organians was obviously a farce, you know. Um, so... Yeah, but they didn't. They didn't let any humans or Klingons die in this thing. Of course, it, it does raise the question in the future. It's like, okay, really, how long does this go on? Is there some kind of <laughs> parameters by which they're in orbit of the planet or in their system they can't fight? You know, because obviously at some point it, that stops their whole keeping them from fighting. But we couldn't possibly talk about this episode without mentioning the fact that uh, I think Spock sings a, an Information Society song near the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's still interesting how they got away with that. I mean, I mean, I, I think the that uh, they were, I think German, is that right? And and so they just kind of ignored the copyright stuff, you know. But they have a lot of songs with Trek samples in them. Um, 
my brother and I listened to a lot of that, you know, back in the 80s and into the 90s and their albums. And they, it's not just that song. They have a lot of Trek samples. Yeah, it's funny. I don't think you could get away with that today. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> YouTube would catch you. What is this episode about, gentlemen? Violence doesn't solve everything. Yeah, it's it's hard to sum it up briefly, really, at least what they were trying to say in this. But but yeah, it's it's the, it's that it's that inkling that humanity has to even they may not even be con- we may not even be conscious of the fact that we try to impose our will on others at times, you know. But um, oftentimes we try to do things our way and even to the point that they were in where um they essentially angry that they can't do something abhorrent to another society and they're kept from it you know just because their um their will to do that was removed in this sense you know and so it's it's kind of it's complex obviously it's a it's a, a gambit of peace it's a you know trying to show that it's that war and violence are, are negative things, um, but it's fairly complex because, it, especially put in the context of where we were at that time of this episode and what they're trying to say about geopolitical concerns and so forth. You know, you could say it was it was arrogant of uh, it was arrogant of this of the Organians, and I, uh, uh, you know, to say, well, here's we're going to decide for you how this is going to work out. Um, we're going to be like the parents, and you guys are like the kids. <laughs> And I, I think if you subscribe to Adam's interpretation of this episode, that's probably fair game. Since I disagree with that, I mean, I totally respect your your, your opinion, and I see how you feel that way. Uh, but since I don't agree with that, I don't think of it that way. I think of it more like, you know, the Organians, I don't think they would have stepped into this Klingon Federation issue if they had nothing to do with it, I think that the, the the Klingons and the Federation involved them, and then once that happened, mm-hmm. you know, then they said, "Hey, this is this violence is just important to us, and we just we just have to put a stop to this." Well, they were in their house, the Klingons and the Federation. Uh, Adam, what do you have for what it's about? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like a lot about what Steve said. I mean, you know, it's imposing one's will and violence doesn't solve every, anything positive a lot of um you know negative aspects don't solve um fighting negative with negative generally doesn't solve your problems and always wear tights with a yellow rope (laughs) now if you had three negatives that actually does make up a a positive three wrongs (laughs) makes a right i think there you go all right gentlemen let's do six degrees for Errand of Mercy. I believe our score is one to one. Oh, gosh. Adam went first last time? Yes, so Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, John Kolokos plays Kor, the Klingon commander. In how many episodes of DS9 does Kolokos reprise his role? Mm-hmm. Three? You are correct. Adam, name the episode of Enterprise that brings back the Organians. I will remind you that it's Brian's favorite episode of Enterprise. I have no idea. Season three? Or, four, excuse me, four? Season four? No clue. Uh, Steve? Steve? Uh, I know I know the episode. I'm just seeing if I can come up with the name right now. They were watching oh, the, ob- the Observer Effect. There you go. Observer Effect. Uh, Steve has three out of MS1. Moving on. 
The Alternative Factor, Season 1, Episode 27, Production Code 020. Original air date, March 30th, 1967. Directed by Gerd Oswald, written by Don Ingalls, music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include Robert Brown as Lazarus, Janet McLaughlin as Lieutenant Charlene Masters, Richard Durr as Commodore Barstow, Christian Patrick as Transporter Chief, Ark Whiting as Assistant Engineer, Tom Lupo as Security Guard, Ron Vado as Security Guard, Ben Salenti as Security Guard, and Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie. The Enterprise, completing a mapping assignment, is rocked by an energy pulse. Science officer Spock informs Kirk that the gravity pull of the planet fluctuated to zero and says that the surrounding space seemed to monetarily, monetarily wink out of ex- existence. Sensors locate a human presence on the planet that wasn't there before. Spock and Kirk beam down to the planet and find a one-man spacecraft. A devilish bearded man appears and accidentally slips off a cliff. The man survives the fall but is injured, and Kirk has him beamed to the Enterprise for examination. I suggest, Captain, that you've been lied to. Captain, you yourself said there were no other explanations. Why do you give credence to this man? I fail to comprehend your indignation, sir. I've simply made the logical deduction that you are a liar. Let's have it the truth this time. Lazarus effect. You guys ready? Or, uh, Lazarus effect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you ready? All right, so this yeah. is a family-friendly family friendly podcast. But you all know what, what WTF means here. All right, so mm. I'm like, for a brief moment, everything was on the verge of winking out. What exactly does this mean? WTF? <laughs> Starfleet sends a message. Kirk says, red alert. It's a prelude to invention. They have a whole scene with the Commodore. I don't know WTF they're talking about. Kirk interviews mystery guy about the person who attacked him, and I feel like I missed an entire scene. I was like, WTF? Then there's like the trippy neon blue slow motion fight, which is kind of a double WTF. (laughs) Spock, weirdness happens when he's in conflict. Okay. Lazarus to Captain Kirk. Captain, I'll have my vengeance. WTF? is he talking about (laughs) oh my gosh then there's like more WTF fighting on the surface of the planet and Lazarus saves Kirk's life okay but then okay alright Lazarus and sickbay I am a time traveler oh that explains everything no WTF WTF what okay if a minus universe came into contact with a plus what the (laughs) oh my gosh when Lazarus and the other guy meet, we risk total annihilation of everything that exists everywhere. That's what... WTF? Um, oh, my God. Um, okay, we Trek fans are so many and, and so different. And, and hey, I love us all. There has to be somebody somewhere that loves this episode. <laughs> but to me, this is the biggest WTF episode in Star Trek history. I don't know what the hell they're talking about most of the time, and I, I don't feel like... I feel like I missed scenes the whole time, and this episode just hurts my brain, and that's all I've got to say about it. And Lazarus' beard is different when he's on the ship and when he's on the planet. It's kind of stringy. There's not just two Lazaruses, maybe there's (laughs) another one. It's kind of stringy on the ship, but it's kind of full on the planet. Yeah, Yeah, that's the humidity. Um, You know what? I think this episode might be a lot better today because I think what dark matter and, you know, and all that stuff, that was very much a new concept back in the 60s. I don't know. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, they they tried to do something scientific here, but it just didn't work out because um, it didn't seem like they had a whole lot of direction in this episode. Well, it certainly uh, lacks any kind of real science or anything to it. I mean, that doesn't help. I mean, I don't know if, if even if it did have all the science, there'd still be a lot of what's the point and uh, why, you know, but. Yeah, that doesn't help. Well, I mean, you know, there are concepts of, you know, like um, parallel universes. And, oh, sure, you know, like, sure. You know, so they were trying to touch on that, but I, I don't, you know, I don't know the evolution of um, science and how much we you understand. You know, like, it, when you're, you're sort of starting to wake up in the morning, right? But, so you're still kind of dreaming, and then you think you have, a, you, like, you see some story or, or you know, and and you're like, Oh my God! This is the most amazing story ever. If only I could just write it down before I completely wake up and forget it, and then I could write the script that wins an Oscar, right? That kind of feeling, right? Or, or write the great American novel, and then that one time you actually do write it down, and then hours later you look at it and you're like, "This is the dumbest thing ever." <laughs> what? That's what this feels like. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> Steve, hmm? tell me that I'm wrong. Tell me this episode actually does make sense no i mean you could like i guess write up some kind of imagine some kind of reality in which it does where you change some like make you know make some assumptions or something i guess but you'd have to make a lot of assumptions it's really just a it's very abstract and you know that this doesn't sometimes abstract work sometimes kind of a fantasy thing that third season episode the was it called the empath the one that's mostly like in dark with that woman yeah yes yes yes, yes. like that's pretty abstract i think and i remember thinking that's a great episode yeah, right. I mean, it's got to. The thing is, you it has to be fair, fairly uh, focused. You know, something like that. There's got to be a point. There's got to be some kind of vibe you're trying to convey. And this is just. It's just kind of all over the place. You know, there's no. There's not a good. Um, I, I don't know what kind of point they want to make here. I mean, ultimately, you've. You know, I get it. There's two of these guys, and if they and they combat in some kind of purgatory thing and if they get into in the same you know i get the little rules they've made up here but who cares i mean there's you know it's let's create all this little this little fantasy world where all these things hold true and all that but it doesn't doesn't mean anything it's 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 just what we do you know the only thing you get out of is you know the notion of wow that's pretty heavy um these two guys trapped fighting forever isn't that something you know i mean I, i don't know I still think there's lack security on the Enterprise. This isn't the first time we've seen just some random dude on the Enterprise just get to wander around. Then they let Khan Khan wander around too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that era was kind of like, you know, out in the country back a hundred years ago, where oh, we never locked our doors. They don't even have doors on locks on them or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's how it was in the era. I, li- I like how McCoy made a big fuss. He's not getting out of here again. And then the next scene, he's wandering the halls. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't lock the doors or have someone the thing, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> oh, doesn't he do one of those funny fight things to somebody? He sneaks up on somebody and like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, hey, you're not supposed to be in here. And it says, oh, sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, that, that actor was originally supposed to be... Uh, now I can't... Drew Barrymore's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, he didn't show up. And they pulled this other guy in. But honestly, I don't think that... Yeah, there, there's a weird tonal inconsistency to his performance, but it doesn't feel like it's his fault. It feels more like the writing. 
the script didn't make any sense, and the director didn't know what to do with it. The guy can fall, though. I mean, he fell off a cliff and, you know, walked away. Oh, yeah, that kept happening, too. That was kind of funny. It's kind of like, well, hey, hey, what's happening? Oh, that happened twice. It was so stupid. You just, like, push a dummy off the cliff or whatever. It's just because, I, you know, the other two episodes today were so amazing and so iconic, and, like, I'll be watching Aaron of Mercy and Devil in the Dark uh, until I die so uh, you know when you watch those two and then you watch this one it's like what i don't get this i i don't exactly hate it i think i would have to understand it better to hate it <laughs> you know there's just a lot of like yeah i think what you said there's a lot of inconsistencies in this and like um another thing that i had written down i'm like i like how the enterprise the lithium crystals fit exactly into the alien spaceship yeah, it does have that vibe of an episode where, I mean, it, we've talked about other episodes that we say, man, this is just an awful episode kind of thing of various series. And this one does have the vibe of, it does have the, it's so squirrely that if, you know, if if you were having, you know, everyone's drunk or something watching it and it'd be laughable kind of thing, there might be something to it with that, that has that entertainment value. But yeah, otherwise it's... You might puke during the negative scenes, you know, though. <laughs> 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 That'd have been funny if they were like doing not just fighting in the negative scenes, like some other I don't know, like they're dancing or who knows what. Some like what's going on here? It's like an um an Austin Powers party. <laughs> I do like the twirl. I mean, yeah, the whole twirling thing and the, yeah, it was just kind of very. Oh yeah, it's just it's kind of like someone just discovered these effects, you know? Like someone says, "Hey, let's let's." do these things in an episode <laughs> just make it you know do it a negative thing and how about the spinning thing you know and all you know what is this episode about nothing nothing <laughs> <laughs> don't don't touch the positive to the negative yeah yeah which there's there's that's a good lesson I mean you can get shocked when you're like <laughs> doing batteries and things <laughs> oh god alright yeah I'm done with this one okay <laughs> Our score is three to one, uh, Steve. Um, Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Richard Durr plays Commodore Barstow, the officer that contacts Kirk to verify universe winking. He played Admiral Fitzgerald in the original series' third season episode, The Mark of Gideon. In this episode, Kirk finds himself on an unusual version of the Enterprise. What's the problem? What's the difference? The Mark of Gideon, the unusual Enterprise? Kirk finds himself in an unusual situation on the Enterprise. What's what's weird about this situation? He's not in command. Um, no, Steve. Mm, is he the only one on the ship? That is correct. There are no other people. Steve, name the two regulars that do not appear in this episode. Huh. Okay. Um. Gosh. I assume not counting Chekhov, of course, because he's not there at all, right? Um, is it uh, Sulu and Scotty? You are correct. Uh, Steve takes it for the day. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, thank you for spending an hour with us. Uh, this is going to be this is our first podcast of 2017, and of course, this is going to be a very exciting year for Star Trek fans in 2017 with a new show. Um, but uh, you're also going to get lots of new shows of our podcast, huh? Hmm. Uh, including in two weeks when we do the we finish out season one, including uh, of the original series, including uh, *Sitting in the Edge Forever*. So I'm excited about that. 
So thank you for spending an hour with us. You can uh, follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. And of course, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. So thanks again. And um, until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. Just watched the Star Trek episode, The Devil in the Dark. Did you like it? Yeah. Okay. What was it about? It was about it was about a monster and the Star Trek trying to cure it. They were trying to cure the monster? Yeah. Why did they have to cure it? What was wrong with it? Because cause they accidentally shooted it. Oh, they accidentally shot the monster? Yeah. And why was the monster attacking them? Because she... Because she, because the other ones, they were destroyed. The, the her eggs. Oh, oh, I see. Um, and what was your favorite part of that episode? Um, they cured the monster. Mm. What did Spock do with the monster? He was re- reading his mind. Oh, he was reading her mind. Yeah. I see. Okay. And what did Captain Kirk do? Captain Kirk was um, telling um, them him what to say. Oh, when he when when Spock was talking to the the monster. Do you remember what the monster was called? What it, what what it was called? The Horta. The Horta. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, did you like that episode? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thanks, bud.